0: few weeks back with Greg Gerber. And you remember the one I'm talking about? I do. I was listening back to the transcript of this conversation and he said something that was like kind of a tire screech moment, like he dropped a kind of a bomb and then moved past it. And I want to go revisit that right now. So the context of the conversation is that Greg had just finished speaking with handfuls of the listeners of this podcast. And I was sort of like, "Well, who are these people like what's going on with them? You know, like that kind of question. And here's what Greg had to say.
1: There's a lot of people who are in like service-based businesses or are like in coaching or in providing some kind of a a service and maybe they have like a skill set. And I don't know, I was surprised how many like service people there were and people with skill sets and people who are coaching who consider that to be like their business. And they're trying to figure out how to grow their business. And I thought it was interesting that to figure that out is kind of like the next step. And I don't know. There's a lot to to figure out there.
0: You know, I thought today maybe we could reflect on this insight just a little bit because it resonated with me. And it's something that I've, I'll call it today, the services problem. The services problem is simply this. It's that the vast majority of people who own a services business would prefer if it was either a product business or more product-like. So on this show, we call that a productized service. And I thought it would be cool today if we could sort of go over the elements of the services problem and talk about some strategies that you could use to
1: solve it. This came up really early for us, Dan, this idea of services versus product you and I, we used to work at a company together. It was basically a services company. Yeah, Clients would come to us who would ask us to design and develop products for them, and then we would do that and then go off and manufacture them.
0: Yeah. Would well, you think it's fair to say that the services problem then was actually the
1: genesis of our entrepreneurial opportunity? <laughs> totally. That's why I'm bringing up this stories because... It's like one of those things like you see something when you're much younger and much less experienced and I had an aversion to it then and I didn't quite know why and it's like taken several years but I remember my thought like back then was like okay, this is cool like I'm, I'm getting paid or whatever to fast forward like two years into that company and me and you were like let's start our own company and like let's make a product because this service stuff like sucks. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> we saw our original partner slash boss going out there. I mean the guy was just a a mega hustler, just a mega mega hustler. I mean, he would go out and sell stuff that he didn't even have. I saw that skill set and I thought, like, wow, that's like a super valuable, interesting skill set, but like I don't want to do that. Like, what I want to do is like I want to design and develop a badass product. I want to learn how to market it and then sell to who I have to. But like this guy just he hustled like way too hard for me. <laughs>
0: Ian, before we get into the problems that services businesses have, why don't we point out some of the exceptions? Like there's plenty of services businesses that don't have the services problem. I could think of a few. The first for me is people that are passionate about their skill set and they want to deliver that skill set. I mean, this is like a story as old as businesses have existed, there have been people that have a craft and they don't mind doing it for others for a price.
1: Yeah, like the other day I, um, I met a firefighter and somebody was asking him like, oh, isn't being a firefighter boring? Like you gotta solve the problems of the everyday man. <laughs> <laughs> the problems, the emergencies. <laughs> yeah, like my house is on fire, my kid's choking, whatever it might be. He's like, no, he, he's very excited about his job because for him it was an exercise in problem solving and solving different problems every day. So he gets up and he solves 20 problems and he never knows what they're gonna be.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of technical consultants that are like this. You know, they love figuring out computer programming problems, for example. And they don't mind being the hired gun that, you know, gets to move to a new technology or a new company every few weeks or months and you know, gets to get engaged on a new project. There's also certain services companies that have like a sweet little niche, like a back corner, like a profitable cash flow that's like it's very often the case that like there's a large entrenched client that you have that just comes to depend on you so much that you can basically just bank on that paycheck every year.
1: Rebuilding air cooled Porsches. That's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like there's only a couple of people in the country that do a good job building engines. And if you want that kind of performance, you go to them. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the problems then. You know, Let's dig deeper into the
0: services problem because that original business that we worked for, it wasn't a small thing. I mean, there were probably about 30 employees at this business. It's a multi-million dollar company. It had a management team. It had senior leadership. It had a a sales group. It had a design group. And so we're talking about a well-constructed, well-run company with a good service, I'd say. Lots of long-term
1: clients. So, Dan, here's what I saw when I was there. And this is the reason why we decided to develop products. Clients were coming to us and we were making products for them, essentially. I mean, every time a new client came to us, we would have to make a new product. And my thought, which turned out to be very profitable and a good one, was (laughs) let's make one product and go out and market it to a bunch of different people. Yeah. I got to the point as a designer in that process where I was like, oh my gosh every time I sit down at my desk, like every three or four or five days, like I have to start from scratch again and like re-engineer, you know, of course using my expertise, you know, but like re-engineer a new product. And I'd say like every product I designed got better from the last one, but I was still having to sit down and like basically reinvent the wheel every time. And that was a tiring process. It's like all of the
0: energy of the employees went into the business structure itself. So instead of like, making better products that were cooler, like a wider range or whatever, like all of our energy went into the management structure, like our processes, our SOPs, like how we manage our workflow. Like that was our asset. And the problem is is like at the end
1: of the day, that asset just isn't worth all that much. Which is also the reason why services businesses generally when they're for sale command a much lower multiple than a product-based company. That's right. You said something though that's really important, Dan, which was all the innovative energy went back into the organization. And I think that's important because one of the things that we learned when we were developing products at this physical product company that you and I started was that many of our products had a version 9, 10, 11, 12. So all that innovation actually went back into the products, whereas before it went into the organization. It's also worth mentioning that These
0: businesses tend to be extremely dependent on the owner. And I know there's lots of services, entrepreneurs listening to this, and they're probably saying like, heck yeah, I'm working real hard. Well, that doesn't tend to go away at the multi-million dollar mark, at the 30-person mark, even if you bring in a management structure, even if you bring in, I would go so far to say, even if you bring in a CEO, these businesses ultimately tend to depend a great deal on the owner of the business. And ultimately, the cost structure is incredibly high for most services business. And as the CEO, as the person who will have to write the rent check regardless of
1: whether the revenue comes in,
0: it's on you to bring home the bacon.
1: Which, incidentally, we learned during the process, Dan, also is a major disqualifier for a lot of people looking to buy a business. People do not want to buy a business that's owner-operated because once the owner disappears, the business doesn't operate. I just want to say, though, Dan, in terms of like making absolute money, like the most that you can make, and having processes that scale, that's not typically what I think about when I think about a services-based business.
0: So what is a services problem, Ian? That many of the listeners of this show share our suspicion that they ultimately, too, would like to transition from a services-based business to a product-type business. So today, we're not going to try to make that case. We're just going to point out that we see this. I see it with entrepreneurs that are literally making two or $3,000 a month, and I see it with entrepreneurs that are making over six figures a month in sales, Ian. They share the same fundamental belief that ultimately they should transition to a more product-oriented business model. So today, if you find yourself in that position, we're going to talk about three strategies and three personality types, three approaches to addressing the services problem. A few days ago, I was at a search engine optimization conference. And when the speaker from stage said, how many people in the room use hrefs.com to rank their sites number one in Google?, the entire audience of hundreds of SEOs raise their hands. Yes, hrefs.com is a tool that is synonymous with ranking your site number one in Google. It allows you to uncover what people in your niche are searching for and how difficult it might be to rank for the all-important number one spot in those searches. Better yet, it helps you to uncover little-known niches of profitable terms that will drive customers to your business. So go to hrefs.com, that's A-H-R-E-F-S.com for a free 14-day trial. And during that free trial, you'll get access to all of their tools and data for two weeks at no charge. That's invaluable. And hrefs is also offering one lucky TMBA listener the chance to win an annual subscription valued at over $2,000. To enter that draw, just share this episode on Facebook and let us know about it. Thanks again, to hrefs.com for sponsoring the show. So, Ian, the first strategy is we'll call it Services Sam. Because why not? Because it's a TMBA podcast. Let's create some characters. Services Sam is the personality that believes that if they're a better entrepreneur, their business will be better and it ultimately will help them to achieve their goals. Services Sam decides... That he is going to become the ultimate entrepreneur, is going to grow a great organization, is going to learn how to double, triple, quadruple the prices, increase the size of the client, and grow a truly great services business. Services Sam believes that there's a way out of the services problem. That if you just grow a better business that the services problem will ultimately go away. Why? Because your profit margins will be huge or because there'll be so much profit that it'll ultimately wash away the services problem. The reality that maybe services Sam doesn't see or doesn't care about or whatever is that I don't think the services problem goes away. I mean, you may be able to transfer it onto other people. But again, this is an inherent problem. Like if you're having a hard time enjoying running your services business, it can be hard to recruit and train top level talent to do it for you. Because again, it tends to be the case, the higher level your clients get, the more demanding they can be. I know on the internet, there's a lot of people that say, oh, double your prices, like go for the sweet corporate clients or whatever. That has not been my experience. It has been my experience that you go higher market and the client's are tougher. There's more regulation. There's more at stake. There's more paperwork, just basic stuff like how to interface with these big... I mean, we worked with big companies like Starbucks, Petco, and it's hard to work for clients like
1: that. Dan, I've seen, uh, and I'm thinking of a woman right now, she runs a services-based business. It's basically essentially a consulting business. She's on the road 300 days out of the year and she makes over half a million dollars a year. And she has a very limited team. Number one, decide, is that what you want your life to look like? Number two, decide if that's good money. She hasn't figured out a way to scale that business necessarily because what happens a lot in these service-based businesses is that your revenue is directly tied to the amount of people that you have in your organization. So as your services scale or as you add more services, as you service more clients, you're going to need more people to service those clients, most likely. Now, in a product business... You're selling 10 products. It takes a massive amount of overhead to fulfill those products. You know, you need machines, you need fulfillment, whatever. It can be quite capital intensive. But once you reach a tipping point, and that might be selling 10,000 products, that might be selling 100,000 products, your profitability starts to increase. Not necessarily the case with these service-based businesses where the more you fulfill, the more it actually costs you. So I haven't actually seen profitability go up Necessarily with the service-based business, but I have seen it go up a lot with product-based businesses. I think the consulting Connie
0: persona—let's just give it to her. I think she's an interesting one because I've seen this a lot with not only high-powered professionals like in business consulting, in law professions like that, but I've seen this with entrepreneurs too. And there's this sort of idea that once you get to that level, that maybe you could like reduce the number of plane flights that your clients will engage with your team a little bit more. That's tough. That's really tough at that level. Again, we're not talking about like a 20, 30, $40 million company. What I'm thinking about right now is like $10 million and below companies. That's sort of what I've seen, Ian, and that's what I know about. And I'm telling you, like if you're out there on the road bringing home $4 million of sales a year, it's going to be really hard for you to get out of that position with your clients. If you think it's hard when you're making $3,000 a month, just wait till you're making $300,000 a month.
1: You know, essentially, Dan, I think we could be criticized here of shitting on service-based businesses. (laughs) Yes. I think that would be accurate at this point. But here's the thing. I think any business that you're running that promotes personal and financial freedom, any business that you're running that allows you to spend more time with your family, any business that you're running that allows you to get out of a job that you don't want to be in, that's a great business. Okay. but. The point being here is that I think we've had the opportunity to see a bunch of different types of businesses, service-based businesses, productized service businesses, product businesses. And one of the things that I've realized over the years is that there are easier ways to make a dollar. And so you have to figure out what your skill set is, what you want to be working on, the projects that you want to take on, what you want your business to look like. Because ultimately, Dan, we could start any of these types of businesses, right? Right. And there's negatives to all of them. Just understand that you get to choose when you're starting out as an entrepreneur. And so what I think you're saying about the services-based businesses is like, there's an opportunity here to pivot into something like a product test service or into a product. If you want to spend that energy though, building your services-based business, we haven't seen it work out super well at scale. Exactly.
0: And I don't want to shit on services businesses at all. What I want to do is point to an intuition that so many listeners of this show have about their services. And I want to underline it and say, if you're uncomfortable with it now, just ask yourself how you're addressing it. Is scale, is a proper organization, is better clients, will it address the suspicion that you have about the problem? So let's talk about one strategy that services entrepreneurs do take to try to add a more product element into their business we'll call this approach personified by productized PAM. Productized PAM has a big challenge, Ian, because running a product business is a fundamentally a different skill set than running a services business. And to me, it really emphasizes marketing over sales. Are we all clear on that distinction? I think I'm not even sure if I am.
1: I think so. Yeah, I can just probably clear it up a little bit. But Essentially, uh, when you're running a services-based business, like what you're having to do is you're having to go out there and you're having to sell your services to people to bring them in, to attract them. When you're running a productized service business or when you're running a product-based business, you have an established product. So what you're doing is you're marketing that existing product. Now, you might be doing some sales, Dan, of course, but you have something that you can actively market to people,
0: so many of us get into services because we're good at what we do and we can turn conversations into money. We can turn people's problems. They come to us and say, I can fix that for X amount. My team can fix it. My company can fix it. And now all of a sudden, productized Pam has to deal with the reality that the vast majority of the people that come through the front door, she's going to have to start saying no to if your marketing is effective, which is like antithetical to the mindset that so many of us cultivate in the services industry.
1: Which is, I'll take on any project. I'll do whatever you want. I'm just trying to make a dollar. And that's how a lot of this stuff starts. Exactly. And I think in a lot of ways, Dan, this progression, and we're going to go through it, services, productized services, product, it's it's all a progression, right? So productized Pam comes in and she's like, okay, you know, we've been offering these services for a long time. Here's the thing. We're only going to offer these five services and we're going to package them in a way that makes sense for us and hopefully for you. So what that means is like you can only get your teeth cleaned if you get whitening at the same time or et cetera, et cetera. If you're a dentist, one strategy that productized
0: Pam can use, Ian, because here's the reality is that services, Sam's got to pay the rent services, Sam has a huge overhead bill. Like you say, like if a big client comes through the front door services, Sam probably has to bring on a better team. All these things cost money and are responsibilities. So what Productize Pam can do, that services Sam can, is maybe say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a new brand, which is instead of, let's say, I'm an accountancy. So I'm like a CPA. And what I do is like I find really successful companies and I do all their financial stuff for them. Now, all of a sudden, you create something called Portfolio Panda, and like, all I'm going to do is like put all your investments into our portfolio and send you a report about it every month. And this is a product for small to medium sized enterprises, you know, portfolio panda trademark. <laughs> and the reality is you can say, well, this is going to be 750 bucks a month or whatever. And you can present this to your services clients and see if any of them would be interested in having a more... A clarity around a deliverable, as opposed to you know, every time we send you an email, we expect you to react because you're our service provider. So I think that's just one way that people can put their toe into the product waters without you know completely sacrificing their services revenue. The reality is, is that it's hard to turn away revenue and responsibility. In some ways, the people that recognize the services problem earlier in the game. And transition to product before they have a lot of overhead they're in a better position overall a little inside baseball there's a story like that that reminded me of greg's quote and inspired this episode ian is that i was like man i know so many services entrepreneurs that have the same intuition as you but because they're doing well they didn't have the ability and bravery essentially just to go out and start launching products
1: in my mind, Dan, and like getting back to this thought that I had about progression, like the idea that you get to a product generally comes from providing a service. So services, Sam, right? You're delivering a service to people and then productized PM comes along and it's like, hey, let's streamline this operation a little bit. Like let's get rid of the clients that don't make a ton of sense. Let's put a product in front of them. Let's hopefully get a catch-all so we don't have to like run around with our heads cut off. Let's streamline this operation. In a lot of ways, it makes sense. This could mean less revenue. Absolutely. It's probably going to mean less revenue. I mean, if you think back to
0: when we were in that services business, we took the same essential IP, the same fundamental capabilities and skills, and we turned it into a product company. It took us, what, five, six years to get back to the same level of revenue?
1: Yeah, sure. But then it scaled much faster after that. That's the promise of this structure, right? Is that, yes, it's going to knock you back but then you're going to have a scalable process. You're going to have a repeatable process and you're going to have a much more profitable process. And eventually you're going to have a process that you personally don't have to be a part of.
0: Of course, we're, these are sweeping generalizations across the board, but I feel that it was a lot easier to have other people run a product oriented business than to have them run a services oriented business.
1: So finally, Dan, let's get into product Pete. What happens eventually? While we're on the topic
0: of generalizations, One of the archetypes of a product, Pete, is the self-assured, confident surveyor of the entrepreneurial landscape. And they have a nose for the services problem a million miles out, and they don't get involved in any of this stuff. And the reality is that in order to do that, product Pete's got to make some sacrifices. He's not going to be able to make money, maybe even the first year. I know that's crazy, but products can take a long time to get traction, and you can have a lot of missteps and lose money, waste time. Services Sam is basically saying, hey, like I never have to lose any money. I can make money first out the gate. I cannot work for somebody else. And Product Pete is basically saying, I know where that goes. I think that that's a trap, and I'm going to do everything in my capability to stay out of it. And whatever I launch, I'm going to own. It's going to be a product. And that's the end of it. Do you think that's a fair characterization of
1: Product Pete? Yeah, I think that Product Pete has a lot more risk and liability up front. So Product Pete maybe orders a bunch of inventory. Product Pete maybe develops a piece of software. But here's how you mitigate that risk, Dan. And I think you said, you know, product P ultimately doesn't want to be a part of what services Sam is up to, but there's a good chance. In fact, most of the situations that I see, product P was at one time services Sam, just decided to pivot, which is what we did. And the reason why it's important that product P was at one time services Sam is because you actually have to understand what the problems are that need to be solved in that industry. And I think Services Sam's does a great job of outlining what those problems are. The difference is that Product Pete doesn't stick around to continue to service those clients in the same way. <laughs> he turns those clients into customers, some of them that have recurring revenue. But th- there's this huge risk, like you said, in developing these products, especially if you're not in the game. So I think what a lot of new entrepreneurs do, I think what a lot of unexperienced people do is they can see the trap of service to Sam and they can also see the opportunity of product Pete, but they get in and they don't understand the market. And then they spend all that time and money up front and then their product bombs. And now they don't even have one customer.
0: Ian, here's one potential implication of this episode is that if you're running a services business and you have a sense for the services problem, then it follows that it might not make sense to try and improve your services business or to scale it. It might make sense to leave that money on the table. I know that's kind of crazy, but I kind of want to mention it just as like a thought experiment. I don't, I'm not like, I don't want to advise anybody to do that. I just want to suggest that that might be a smart option is to find a way to like accelerate your experiments with productization and with products while paying a minimal amount of rent with your services income
1: that's spot on, you know, and everybody has to decide for themselves where they like fall into these categories. Again, like, I don't want to say that services, Sam, isn't right for some people, but I do want to say the people that are optimizing the most for exiting from their business, the people that are optimizing the most from making the most money. These are generally people that move towards things like product test Pam are doing, or like product Pete is doing. So it just really depends, Dan, what you're trying to optimize for. Again, I want to bring it back to that story. firefighter loves his job, loves waking up every morning and solving different problems. And he does that through the service of firefighting. It can depend on like how amazing your services is and, and how your clients treat
0: you, right? Totally. One of the things that when I think of a services business, it's like much more mundane stuff than like saving people's lives. You know, it's pretty awesome. But when you talk about like serving corporate clients and stuff, which is what I was doing, I got treated like crap. I really did. And it was about a life of kind of kissing ass and like speaking in a bullshit sort of way. And I really mean a bullshit kind of way. Like there's this way of writing emails to clients that you sort of like, there's a lot of passive aggression. It's not like one of the things I love about product Pete is he can be a true believer. It's like, I built this thing and it's great. And if you don't want it, that's fine because there's, billions of people on the planet who don't want this. All I need is a few thousand people who do and it's great. And like, that's kind of a cool way to run a business.
1: Yeah. I think it all depends what you want to do, Dan. I'm just thinking about my own experiences. One of the things that I do just for fun is on-track driver coaching. And I generally don't charge for this, right? But I could very easily charge for that. And if I wanted to turn that into a product, it would be like a website. It would be a school. It would be like all this overhead. And I'm like, you know what? That's not really interesting. What's interesting to me is like getting in the car with somebody, helping them in one day to improve their skills greatly, watching them walk away with a smile. So I can really identify with those people that like their services, businesses. But for me, it just doesn't scale.
0: Well, Ian, I'm glad you joined me on the speculative journey. This is the beginning of the conversation, not the end or, or help add to this a little bit. Flesh it out. If you have some experience that you think could help other entrepreneurs on their journey. This episode will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash the services problem.
1: Dan, I will see you next week. Cheers, man.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.